How many of you, when you hear God's word read, I mean, this never happens to me, but you drift off. It never happens to me. But does it happen to you? And I think, what can we do right now to just sort of focus? It's such a great story that we're about to hear. So let's just take it in this morning. Here to read is Jen. This morning's scripture reading is from Genesis 28, uh, verses 10 to 22. When Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west at and to the east, to the north, and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob woke, awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jen, for reading God's word to us this morning. So we're in the book of Genesis, if you're just visiting us today or you forgot. We're in the book of Genesis, and uh, just as a quick recap, chapters 1 to 11 talk about the beginning of the human family. But then in chapter 12 to the rest of the book, uh, it focuses, it zooms in on one family, the family of Abraham. And it just travels and just... Uh, tracks with this man and his family through the rest of the book. And this morning, after having looked at the life of Abraham, we're now going to look at the life of his grandson, whose name is anybody? I guess that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Just Jacob. That's right. And uh, Jacob is on a journey. Do you know that? He's on a journey. He's traveling 450 miles, which in kilometers is... A lot. It's a lot of kilometers. That's right. It's a lot of kilometers. Traveling from a place called Beersheba in Israel all the way up to a place called Haran, which is in modern-day Turkey. And and why he's he's going there, why he's on the run, we'll find out in just a second. But he comes in our story to a certain place. A certain place. That's what it's called. Verse 11. And it doesn't have a name. Well, it does, but it doesn't mention it until later on in the story, which is just brilliant. It's a brilliant piece of writing. 
Uh, this is a it's a nowhere place. It's a nondescript nowhere place, and it kind of captures where Jacob is at spiritually. He's kind of in a nowhere spiritual zone, and he's been like this for a long, long time. I mean, up to this point, when you read his life, he uh, he doesn't really know God. He knows about God, but doesn't know God. And whenever you hear him talking about God, he's always somebody else's God. In fact, you don't actually hear him praying until our story. So he's kind of in a nowhere space spiritually when he gets to the certain place. It's at this place, though, and I hear this, that he has this powerful encounter with God. God just shows up in a way he has never shown up in, in Jacob's life. And it's wild. It's a beautiful story of grace. And, and what I want to see with you this morning is that this certain place is a place where God leads us. It's a place where he, he brings us at the beginning of the journey and then periodically at different times in the journey, he just shows up in a way where you just can't deny it and you say like Jacob, surely God is in this place. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to help you to navigate that place, to understand that place. I want to give you the topography of that place. I want to give you the terrain. I want to give you the features so that you can identify it. All right? And so this certain place, is, it's, it's marked by three things, three characteristics. One, it is, it's a place of unexpected grace. Two, it's a place of awakening grace. And three... It's a place of patient grace, unexpected, unexpected grace, awakening grace, and patient grace. First of all, a place of unexpected grace. Now, we got to go back for a few minutes in his story. We got to go back in Jacob's story. And when I say back, I mean all the way back. I mean all the way back to his mommy's tummy. We got to go back in utero. Jacob, if you don't know, was a twin. He was uh, not an identical twin. He was a fraternal twin. He and his brother were, were vastly different creatures. They couldn't have been more different from one another. They were different in their appearance. They were different in terms of their, their personality. I mean, they were just so wildly different. Esau was the first one to come out. And when he came out, he was a hairy guy. It says that his body was covered in like a hairy cloak. <laughs> And so they called him Esau, which means, guess what? Harry. Much of that for your name. What's your name? Harry. So his name was Harry. Esau was Harry. And, uh, and then Jacob comes. Now Jacob is coming down the birth canal and he, he grabs on, he grasps at his brother's heel. And so he's called Jacob because Jacob means, guess what? Grasper. You know why? We'll see in a minute. But then they grow up. And as they're growing up, Esau, is, he's, he's a man's man. He's a man of the field. He's a guy who hunts. And he lives in the open field. But Jacob is quiet. And he lives indoors. He's, um, how do I put this? Well, listen, Esau's an outdoorsy guy. And Jacob is indoorsy. All right, that's just the way. They're very different guys. And then you get to this, this passage in, uh, in God's word in, in Genesis and it's just one of the it's just one of the most heartbreaking verses that you'll read 
in the Bible. It says that Isaac, that's their dad, loved Esau because he used to love to eat his game. Okay. It doesn't say he loved Jacob. It says he loved Esau because he liked to eat what Esau hunted. And we we don't have the language for it here in the passage, but I think we have it now in our own language. This is what you would call early childhood trauma. Story of a young guy whose father was not attuned to him emotionally, was not engaged with Jacob's heart. And Jacob knew that dad loved Esau in a way that he didn't love him. And that was a piercing arrow in his heart. And Jacob did what what many people do when they experience that kind of parental neglect and early childhood trauma. He, he shut his heart down. He protected it. And little Jacob did what people do. He, he made an agreement. He said, no one's going to get in and hurt me. And so he shut his heart down from himself, from other people, and from God himself. And he lived his life as though he was his own man. He lived his life as the independent man, not needing anybody. And he lived his life looking after himself, taking care of Jacob. He did whatever it took to get ahead. He lied. He cheated. He swindled. He manipulated. Because, hey, who's going to look after me? Jacob's looking after himself. And then... And then he swindles his brother out of his birthright and out of his inheritance. And the whole thing begins to backfire on Jacob. Esau is furious. He's got murder in his heart. He wants to kill his brother. And so Jacob, when he finds out, he runs. He runs. He runs for his life and he runs to find a wife. 450 miles or a long ways up the road and he's running he's running from everything he's running from his inheritance he's running from his home he's running from his family he's running from god he's running from everyone he's running from himself and he comes to this certain place and it's late and it's dark And there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to run. He can't. And it's not just facts. It's emblematic of his life. This guy is at the end. And in that place, he he lies down, grabs a stone for a pillow, (laughs) because he doesn't have any clothing to ball up into a pillow. And he just flat on his back, completely vulnerable, completely defenseless, falls into a deep sleep. 
and he has a dream. He has a dream. And in this dream, God does not show him his past life. In his dream, he does not see Jacob lying and cheating and swindling and manipulating. No, what he sees is his future. God's vision for him. He sees a stairway resting on the earth and going all the way up to heaven. He sees the angels going up and down this ladder. He sees the Lord executing his reign all over the earth. It's a strange dream for us, but it wouldn't have been a strange dream for for Jacob. Because in that land, in that day, and they're still all around the world today, were ziggurats. And ziggurats were like pyramid temples. And there was a long staircase up to the top, and you would go and you would bring your sacrifice up, and you would offer it to whatever god it was, and then you would come back down. God renews the covenant the covenant that he made with Abraham, he renews it with Jacob. And he says, Jacob, in you, all the nations will be blessed. You'll be fruitful. You're going to get the land. I'm going to return you back home again after all of this. I will. I swear I'm going to do it. I'm going to look after you. I'm going to care for you. And now, And now Jacob is realizing that he has been getting God wrong all along. Because unlike his dad, his, this father is attuned, is engaged, is actively involved in this guy's life, has always been, will always be, but he didn't know it. But the penny's beginning to drop for him. Jesus, Jesus talked about this passage. Did you know that? He did. In John chapter 1. Verse 51, and I'll, I'll just read it. But listen, like, get this. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, who was Jesus. Can you imagine that? This is all upside down. What Jesus is saying is that you do not have to try and climb your way up the ladder to God. God comes down to us. We can't go up to him. He's got to come down to us. And Jesus said, I have come down to you. I have come to live with you. I have come to die for your sins. I have come to do everything that is needed for relationship with me. It's a story of grace. And in Jacob's life, it's a story of unexpected grace. He never saw it coming. He gets to this certain place. It's a place like every other place. There's nothing extraordinary about it. Or is there? Or is there? God meets him. God comes down. God shows him that he's always been with Jacob. Will always be with Jacob. It's a story of grace. And it's a story that, that many people, countless millions of people have known for themselves. I, I experienced, experienced this for the first time when I was about 20 years of age. 
I went to Guelph for my undergrad. And when I went to study at Guelph University, trust me, I did not go to study my courses. I went to study other stuff. And I'll leave it at that. But I didn't expect God to show up. But he did. There was this group called like Campus for Christ. What are they called today? It's Power to Change, right? Those guys, they were just like a burr in my conscience. I grew up in the, in the church, you know, like I, I knew the truth. And then they were there. And just a reminder. And I just couldn't get it out of my mind. I'll tell you, though, I wasn't looking for God at that point. But he began to look for me. And you know what? Lots of people have had this experience where, you know, you're just not expecting him to show up. And he does. And you know what? He doesn't just do that at the beginning of the journey. He does it periodically, intermittently throughout the journey. I mean, he just, you find yourself going along, not expecting God to show up. And then he just shows up in a really clear way. And you're like, there's no doubting this. It's like Jacob. Surely God is in this place. When we get to that place, that place of unexpected grace, I think we need to do a few things. Well, for one, you, you can't always know when God's going to show up this way. He, he doesn't tend to announce himself, you know? He's not, he's like that, that person who just shows up at your house, un, uninvited, unexpected. He just shows up. You got friends like that? That's what he does. These are the moments where he just kind of shows up unexpected, unannounced. If you find yourself, if you find yourself now or in the future at the end of yourself, like Jacob, don't be surprised if he shows up like this. He just has that way of doing that kind of thing. He just kind of shows up when we least expected, and in the places we least expect. And you know, here's, here's something else to think about. When he does, it seems to be very personal, very personalized. You know, like it's like tailor-made to who you are. He knows who you are. He knows what's going to get your attention. He knows exactly how to show up so that you get it, Right? And it could be, it could be a crisis. It could be conflict. It could be, it could be a, a, a conversation you're having. It could be a thing. It could be lots of things that God uses. But rest assured, it's going to be personal. It's going to have your name on it. He knows you. He knows how to get your attention and he knows how to do it in a way that you don't miss it. Okay. The point I'm making is that, that this certain place that we're looking at, in our passage, is a place where God's grace comes unexpectedly. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is this. It's a place of awakening grace. Now listen, Jacob wakes up, and here's what he says. Just hear this. The Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. It's funny, isn't it? It's funny what comes out of people's mouths when they've had a huge experience. This is what comes out of Jacob's mouth. This place is awesome. God is in this place, and I didn't even know it. What he's understanding now is this, that God is there. 
And he's always been there. Throughout his life, when he thought that God was not there, God was there. And now he's waking up to the fact that God is a personal God and has a personal dealing with him and has a personal dealing with all of us. He's waking up to that fact. That, I think, is what the certain place is about. It's about a place of awakening. A place where we've been like in a sleep, a dreamy sleep, unaware of God, unaware of his nearness. And then he shows up in this certain place and there's no denying it. You just know he's there. He, you know he's with you. Ergo, he's always been with you and always will. I've had these moments. I had it at the beginning of the journey, and I've had it now and then throughout my Christian life. I've been walking for about 30 years or more, 35 years. I'll tell you about a recent awakening. Can I do that? Okay, I'll tell you a story. <laughs> it's kind of an embarrassing story. I'm sure I'm going to have a vulnerability hangover tomorrow morning. But, you know, but whatever. Because, you know, like, one of our core values is to be, uh, is real growth. Yeah? And we want to, we want to be a real church. Well, I don't know how we can be a real church if your leaders, if your pastors aren't willing to get real with you. Okay? All right. I'm hearing some yeses. I'm hearing some amens. So, you know, 2020 to 2022 were not good years. <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that. They were difficult years. Yeah. And I've mentioned, I mean, first there was COVID. Remember, remember COVID? Remember we had a global epidemic? Uh, but there were losses. And I've mentioned these before. I mentioned my brother died. I mentioned uh, my uncle died. I think I mentioned my dog died. My nephew died um, when his mom died. It's like, who's going to keep dying? People were just dying all over the place. And, you know, I did what I, I do. I put my head down. I stuffed it. I put it on a, on a shelf in a nice little package, right? I learned that trick when I was a young boy. You know, it's a way of just dealing with the harshness of life, you know. I made an agreement like Jacob that I was, I wasn't going to let anyone get in or hurt me. Yeah. And it's, it was a, you know, I don't fault myself for that. I mean, I had no one to coach me along the way like Jacob. And so I did what little Kiernan had to do. And that was, I had to take care of myself with whatever means I knew possible. And so that meant I shut my heart down, closed it off from everything, insulated it like Jacob. And that mechanism served me well. I'll put that in quotation marks. Until the end of 2022. I found myself not just pastoring Grace West, but also pastoring Grace Downtown as they were going through some very difficult things. And I'm trying to be a good dad. I'm trying to be a good husband. And it all got to be a bit much. It all got to be a bit much. So I went fishing. I went fishing. I drove up to the Ottawa Valley to visit my friend, my buddy, and we went fishing. We went down to a river, 
that I had been down to many times with him and went fly fishing. And I cast my, my fly line out and it goes about a hundred feet down the river. And then I just stepped into the river and sat down in my clothes. And then I gave myself to the river. I let the current take me. And so now I'm drifting down this river in my clothes with my fly fishing rod and I feel a tug on the line. And I got a fish. And this is unusual because you don't tend to catch fish this way. <laughs> you just don't. I don't. Maybe you do. But I don't. And so, but I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling this fish and I wrestle the thing to the bank and I get up on the bank and I go back to the place where I had been. And my buddy who was watching the whole thing, who saw me in the water and who said, Oh crap. I mean, that's, that's the paraphrase. He comes over to me. And I'm there on the ground, and I'm unhooking this fish, and I'm looking at this fish. And something breaks in me, or something opens up. I, I can't quite tell you how it worked, but I knew in that moment that God was there. And it was palatable. And I, I didn't hear a voice, but it was a sense that I am here, son, in this place and I've always been with you and I'll always be with you and I broke open and all of the grief of the past two years and maybe decades erupted and I wept and I howled like a wolf and my buddy beside me. He's behind me. He's rubbing. We're like six foot two, 230 pounds both. He's rubbing my back. He's coaching me how to breathe. <laughs> and the whole time I've got this fish in my hand, staring at this fish. I put the fish back carefully in the river because that's what you do with fish. You put them back. You don't throw a fish back in the water. You thank God and you put it back. And I picked up a stone, a stone I still have to remember. Jacob takes that stone pillow and he gets creative, doesn't he? He flips it up on its side and he makes it into a pillar, a pillow to a pillar. Why? Not fully sure, but I think it was to memorialize the spot. A spot where God had met him in that certain place in a powerful way. And he wanted to remember, maybe for the way back, but maybe he just needed to consecrate that moment, that place. And I think we do. When we get brought to that place, we don't want to waste it. We want to remember it. We want to record it. We need to get creative in those moments like Jacob. And, and what could that look like for you to take that moment and, and turn it into something to remember and to name it like he did Bethel, house of God? That this was the place 
where God met me in an unusually beautiful, powerful way, and I knew he was there, and had always been there and always would be. I think we need those places, and we need those stones. It's a place of awakening. It's a place of awakening. This certain place, turns out, is a place of awakening grace. Let's go and look at the third thing. And we'll go quickly now. I'll have you home before dinner. I swear it. Turns out it's also a place. It's a patient place. And uh, I love Jacob. I love this guy so much. I, I don't think there's anyone I get in the Bible more than Jacob. I mean, listen, he, you know, he, listen to, he makes me laugh. Check out verse 20 and 20 uh, down to 22. I'll just read it. I got to read this. This is, this is gold. <laughs> this is rich. Then Jacob made a vow, a promise saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey that I'm making or taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And the stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. There's a lot here that's wrong (laughs) about this vow. There's a lot that's really wrong. You know, he's still scheming. This is very transactional. Do you see that? You know, Lord, you know, if you'll just give me, you know, food to eat and clothes to wear and, you know, keep me safe, then you'll be my God. You know, he still doesn't get it, really. I mean, he's beginning to, but he still doesn't get grace. He doesn't understand. It doesn't work that way. You know, it's just grace is an undeserved gift. He just gives it. He gives it. He gives it. There's no bargaining with God. If you do these things, then I'm going to serve you. If you do these things, then I'll be your, you know, you'll be my God. This is not right. <laughs> this is really bad. It's, it's kind of funny, but it's bad. And we get a lot wrong. I mean, even after a, an amazing mountaintop experience, he doesn't quite get it. I mean, he's got some things right. I'll give him that. I mean, for the first time, you're, you're hearing him kind of praying. At least there's a Godwardness to his, his convert. We'll say that, okay? So there's something good happening here, but it's this mix of bad and good and bad and good. And God knows it. And God's patient. He doesn't expect Jacob to have it all figured out. He's going to keep working on him. He's going to keep showing himself to Jacob. Next week, come back and you'll hear another story, a crazy story about how God does this again and just is healing this man's heart and showing himself to this runner, showing his grace and his love. I get Jacob. I get him. There's much that's bad, but there's much that's good. And this is what I know about God's grace. It's patient. It's patient. 
You know, God says in his word that he will be faithful to perfect you until the day of Christ Jesus. It would be so great if, you know, after these experiences, we were transformed and instantly perfected. But that's not the way it works. I'm not saying God can't do a crazy, amazing, big things in a certain place. But what I'm saying is I just don't think it's normative. There's a lot in these hearts that have to get changed. A lot of things we have to unlearn. A lot of idols we've got to let go of. A lot of protective defenses that we have to finally surrender to God and say, God, you be God. You take care of me. And I'm quitting. I'm quitting my need to protect myself all the time. God understands that. And he's patient. And life is a journey. And the Christian life is a journey. And God knows how to grow you. He knows who you are. He knows what you need. He knows exactly how to grow you. And it doesn't appear he's in a rush. It's a lifelong journey. You can trust him with that. Maybe you have to readjust your expectations. That's okay. But can we agree on this? He is patient with you. His grace is patient. And even when he brings you to that certain place, this place where you see him, it's like, surely God is here. He still has much more work to do in your life. And he's going to do it. He's going to do it. Maybe this morning you have been brought to a certain place in your life and you're hearing God speak to you and you're hearing him speak for the very first time. And you have never crossed the line from looking after yourself and trusting in yourself with no God. And God is saying to you, come, you come this morning, you come by faith in my son who I sent who went down the ladder, went down the ladder for you to meet you where you are. And I want to know you and I want relationship with you, but you've got to let go of those things. You've got to turn in faith to my son and trust him as the one who went down the ladder so that you don't have to try and climb up of it. it you know what I'm saying? That's, that's the grace of God. Some of you this morning feel like you're at the end And you're like, how long can this go on? Do not be surprised if just around the corner, he takes you to a certain place. There will be a certain place. Because that's where he wants to show himself to you. And to do it in a way where you're like, God is in this place. And he's my God. And I'm his. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, we want to thank you that there are certain places. Father, I know that much of life is very routine and day to day, and we don't often get these moments along the way. Some here this morning are maybe in that moment, and I pray, Father, that they will exploit it take advantage of it, 
revel in it, ride that wave and that current, and be amazed and awed by a God who would show up like that with a message of grace. I want them, Father, to know that grace deep down in their bones. For those, Father, who are at the end or it feels like it's the end and they are trial-weary and battle-sore and racked by grief and the pressures of this life and their own issues, God, I just pray that you would meet them, Jacob, like in that certain place, turn pillows into pillars. Let them know, Father, that you are with them. You've always been with them, no matter what this world has said. And you're always going to be with them. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.